Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune into today's show. Funds stolen in the FTX exploit are on the move. Companies are warning off fallout from the FTX collapse. We'll discuss the impact with Jeff Dorman and Alex Kruger. I'm Paul Guerra and Ash Bennington is back with us today. Ash, good to see you again. How are you doing? And most importantly, where do you just get back from? I'm doing great, Paul. I just got back uh, from a Real Vision event in the Cayman Islands. Uh, really fantastic to get to spend time with our members to see why we do what we do. Uh, and just always a lot of fun to be there. Obviously, uh, a very difficult time in the space, uh, which is the flip side of that equation. Uh, but I'm sure we'll be talking about that more in a few moments. Yes, yeah, it is uh, difficult times. But yes, we had a Real Vision Cayman experience. It was great to uh, bond more with our community and we'll get to back we'll get to that later so by the way don't forget to subscribe to real vision crypto it's completely free and if you're watching this on youtube you know already the drill just smash everything like button subscribe and notification bell so that way you never miss when we go live or upload new content made for you guys well now let's jump back to the price action we're seeing mostly green today ash and the total crypto market cap is up two percent compared to yesterday's at around 850 billion dollars bitcoin is trading higher on a 24-hour basis in the last hour bitcoin went back above seventeen thousand dollars and Ethereum is closing in on $1,300, but has not yet reached that threshold. A lot of Ethereum has been on the move today, and we'll talk about it in a second. Ash, what are you looking at today? Well, right now I'm looking at Solana. Solana has had a brutal time ever since the story about Alameda's finances began to break. Alameda, of course, is the trading arm of Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire, or what was once Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire. Mm -hmm. Solana is up some 5% on the past 24 hours. It's trading above 14 bucks right now. Still, the damage done has been immense. SBF, of course, is a prominent backer of Solana. Coindesk says more than $700 million has exited Solana-based DeFi applications. That's a 70% drop from the $1 billion in total value locked on November 2nd, uh, when the Coindesk report about FTX first started to break. I also want to take a look here at FTT. That, of course, is the native token of FTX. We're looking at a one-month chart here. Obviously, what you see on this chart is absolute devastation uh, as FTX began its implosion. Finally, I wanted to show one other chart. This is a Bitcoin market depth. This comes to us from Kaiko via hmm. Coindesk's first mover newsletter. What we're looking at here is liquidity slash market depth. If you're relatively new to the financial side of this conversation, you can think of liquidity and market depth as a measure of how much price changes in response to buy and sell orders. This chart obviously is not exactly bullish. It shows declining liquidity slash thinning market depth, suggesting the next wave of sell orders might, might push prices lower faster in the event of additional declines here, Paul. 
Thank you so much, Ash. And well, now let's get into our top story for today. Some news breaking a few hours ago in relation to Friday's exploit FTX. Coindesk is reporting that whoever was behind it has now started moving those funds. And Coindesk estimates that $600 million had been stolen from FTX. And according to blockchain data from PeckShield, a security firm cited by Coindesk is in the process of multiple transfers on transactions. The drainer amassed nearly 230000 Ether, making him or her the 35th largest holder of ETH. That stash is worth today some $290 million. Separately, we're slowly learning of the extent of the contagion of FTX collapse. Multiple firms have already confirmed exposure, some have not, and more are expected to announce if they were involved with FTX in any manner. For example, BlockFi has halted withdrawals, and this happened to me personally. I have the BlockFi Bitcoin credit card, so I was stacking sats in the form of cashback, and every month I would withdraw those sats to my personal wallet, to my cold wallet, and I have been unable to do it this month. So that happened the day I actually wanted to do it, so they are actually halting withdrawals now. But uh, also, the CEO of Asset Manager Ikigai has revealed most of its assets uh, were on FTX. Sino Global Capital, which invested in FTX as well, said its red exposure was in quote mid seven figures. And according to court filing reported by Coindesk, the company may have one million creditors. Ash, what are your thoughts on this humongous crisis? Yeah, well, first, I'm glad you were self-custing those assets and pulling them off every month. Uh, so at least you didn't uh, have the experience of finding that all of the sats you'd stacked there had disappeared for you. Uh, look, this is this is this is brutal. This is ugly as hell. Bankruptcies, you know, hacks, contagion effects. Uh, this is the moment, Paul, uh, when crypto fell short of its promises and fell short of its own ideals. We've been like the frog here in boiling water for some time as things gradually drifted further and further towards centralization in this speech, in this space. It's like the talking head song, as things fought, fell apart, nobody paid much attention. Crypto was gradually becoming more and more like 2007 era TradFi, but worse because it's less regulated. And then we saw a crisis, a disaster in FTX, and the prices imploded. And then we all noticed. You know, I've been talking about, uh, obviously, that this is a speculative asset for a very long time, but I think people were shocked uh, when they saw just the magnitude of how quickly this can unwind when you find that there's been one actor who's been doing things that they shouldn't be doing, like, for example, uh, using customer account funds uh, to make venture capital investments in a, in a sister company arm and lending uh, by some reports more than half of their investor, uh, their, their customer capital out uh, to Alameda. I mean, these stories are just, they're just ugly. Uh, I've talked about how uh, during periods uh, of, of high volatility, things become very difficult to predict because the nature of things becomes very chaotic and non-linear. I'm a great fan of charts. But charts also have their limitations when it comes uh, to times where the future doesn't look like the past. You know, I don't know which direction the next 10% move is going to be in, and that's sort of the, the nature of crises. But there could be significant price damage here. Uh, you know, and, and my gut right now is I'm feeling pretty pessimistic now. I'm not sure how much my gut is worth. Uh, but I will tell you that there are a lot of risks out there sort of quavering on the horizon. 
liquidity risk, solvency risk, counterparty risk, and a couple of uh, risks that are more in the intermediate term right now, like, for example, regulatory risk, uh, the risk that there's going to be so much anger about what happened uh, in Congress that we're going to get. Uh, legislation that may be too restrictive, uh, mm. the risk of institutions leaving the space. You know, what was one of the major stories that we talked about here in 2022 and also in 2021, the interest that institutional capital had in this space. What happens if that leaves it? Uh, the risk of, of retail investors being spooked and not wanting uh, to participate in the space any longer. You know, I, I posted uh, this uh, when this crisis first started to break that I am long term incredibly bullish on this yeah. space. You know, this is a learning experience, I think, for everyone about what happens when when people drift away from the ideals that they have uh, and when maybe things start moving faster than there is an underlying sort of real value case uh, for that happening. And, you know, I don't want to do too much of a monologue here. I'd really rather pull in our guests and get their views as well, because there really is a lot to talk about, Paul. A hundred percent. That's that's well, well put, uh, Ash. So let's bring in our guests. Jeff Dorman is the chief investment officer at Arca and Alex Kruger is the founder of Kruger Macro. Gentlemen, welcome to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Ash. All right. Let's get your views on this story, guys. Starting with you, Jeff, what do you make of all this? My first reaction was uh, I was laughing at how negative Ash was, um, <laughs> very emotional. And I mean, there's certainly some truth to to what he said, but but there's also more pragmatically, um, y you have to think about what really happened and, and where we're going to try to figure out where prices go from here. So, I mean, you know, for starters, um, you know, Terra Luna was a crypto failure, right? That was an experimental project that ultimately was built with a flawed design. This is not a crypto failure. This is more MF Global than it is Terra Luna, right? This is a finance failure. You know, FTX and Alameda could have been trading anything using the backdoors and the relationships that they had. Um, so to me, this has less to do with the underlying assets and more to do just with, you know, a few players that happen to have been gravitating towards this asset class because of the lack of regulation. Um, you know, I joked earlier in the week that, you know, if the zookeeper commits a felony, you don't start blaming the lions, tigers and bears. Um, you know, this is this is this is to me has very little to do with with the digital asset space. Um, now, that being said, I mean, there, there are real risks for sure. Um, you know, in, in order, I guess, of, of where I see the most pain or, or potential selling pressure coming from would be, you know, obviously anybody who had funds on FTX is, is the most affected, right? Well, you know, not only did you potentially lose a significant chunk of your assets, but the other side of it is whatever you have left, especially if you're a fund, you're probably liquidating to then distribute those leftover assets back to LPs who are redeeming. Um, and most likely those funds are going to close down. Um, but also there's a P&L aspect, right? I mean, you know, imagine if you're a large venture firm that had a couple hundred million dollar illiquid position and you were shorting futures on FTX against it. Well, two things happened, right? One, you had an unrealized gain on FTX that just went away. So you just lost a significant chunk of probably an unmarked P&L. Um, or maybe if you were marking to market, you, may, you know, maybe a significantly uh, a big unrealized gain that you did mark. Um, and two, you just lost a lot of short protection because most people were shorting on FTX more so than going long. Um, so there's definitely some ramifications there. But aside from the people who had funds on FTX, you know, you have market makers who are going to be significantly impaired here. Um, uh, and also, you know, you're just taking a fragmented industry and making it even more fragmented and more illiquid. 
Uh, certainly the Bitcoin miners, which were already in trouble, are going to be more in trouble because lending standards are going to tighten up. Um, and then you have the, the the companies and projects that FTX or Alameda personally backed or invested in just because, you know, uh, guilty by association, you know, there's some stink on those projects. You mentioned Solana uh, a little bit as well. That's more of a short-term problem more so than a long-term problem. Um, but that's really it. I mean, outside of that, you know, you, there's, there's not a ton of reasons to necessarily sell the assets just because a player in the asset class committed a fraud. Um, and, and, you know, if this does speed up regulation and if this does speed up voluntarily transparency from exchanges and other places, um, you know, there's a path to redemption probably quicker than we would have seen if this wasn't uncovered. So um, that doesn't necessarily mean that money is going to fly into this space right away. Right. I'm sure institutional investors, this just push their uh, investments back three to nine or 12 months. You know, retail might be slow to come back. But you know, retail always comes back. I mean, you can even see it in the price action this week alone. I mean, look at look at some of the tokens that actually outperformed. It's DYDX, which is a decentralized derivatives exchange. It's GMX, which is a decentralized derivatives exchange. It's Uniswap, which is a decentralized spot exchange. I mean, that's a pretty healthy trading environment when, when the market differentiates between those that will unilaterally um, benefit from the problems that we saw this week and those that will, uh, uh, you know, be crushed from it. So, you know, that's much more healthy than what you'd expect. And, you know, in a 2008-like meltdown, everything went down because people were just rushing to get their assets back and get their cash as fast as possible. Here, there's, you know, real token distinctions going on with who's going to win from this and who's going to lose. So I, I guess, you know, I think all hope is not necessarily lost. And, and you know, in some ways, happy that this is uncovered, you know, as fast as it was by on-chain detectives. Shout out to the on-chain detectives who know how to read a block explorer. Um, you know, it's it's good that this was uncovered and, and maybe pushes some 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 healthy regulation and transparency forward. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all hope is definitely not lost. I mean, look, this has been, I think, an emotional few days for everyone. Uh, and and I just, you know, I agree with this idea that you that you put forth this this notion that you basically have uh, this this failure that looks like, you know, for example, Francis Coppola uh, on November 1 was prescient talking about the 1907 bankers panic. Uh, in many ways, this is a story, uh, as you said, Jeff, uh, spot on, that this is very much a story of, of uh, the, the structure is very much traditional finance failure structure uh, and that you have uh, actors in the space who are doing things uh, that we knew were incredibly risky, taking leverage, making uh, venture bets with customer funds, et cetera, et cetera. But I would point out, Jeff, that there are, it's a little bit more complicated than that because there are some structural uh, headwinds to the space right now that the the technology uh, and that the legal component has just not gotten there yet. I'd point to a couple of, I think, important points. First, there is a lack of regulatory clarity in the space. Uh, and so you have these actors who have been far, forced offshore uh, to do things because they can't do it here in a legally, uh, you know, sort of kosher regulated way onshore in the US. In the US. Uh, further, you have significant UI UX problems for people who don't have computer science degrees, for people who aren't able precisely, as you said, Jeff, to go and read a blockchain uh, explorer. Uh, it's really tough to get a sense of how this space works. 
those sort of intermediary uh, layers that need to be built up to cre create greater ease of use uh, and greater safety. I mean, we had a crypto.com fat finger $400 million mistake uh, during the same time period as all of the other things that we've just talked about have been unfolding. We also don't yet have cryptographically validated proof of reserves broadly uh, in effect, uh, you know, kind of across the industry. Uh, this is something that would have been uh, obviously uh, potentially something that could have significantly mediated this crisis. Uh, and, and finally, I would say on the DeFi side, we still have, don't have some things uh, sort of hammered out yet in terms of, uh, of OFAC compliance, uh, how, to, how to manage uh, some of those questions. So there really is a lot in this space uh, that we just simply just don't, the technology just isn't there yet or it's not being used at scale yet. And it seems to take some time uh, to build those layers up, uh, those abstraction layers, those those tools that could help facilitate greater transparency, and I think most importantly, uh, greater decentralization. You know, the idea that bad actors in the space uh, do bad things, uh, you know, the reality is that the challenge is that we don't have the ability yet uh, to do this in a, in a truly decentralized way and in a way that that is not going to impair, uh, ultimately, uh, end users, investors, and and, uh, and folks from the retail space who have been so passionate uh, and have joined us on this journey. I want to give Jeff a, a second to respond because that was a lot there, but I also uh, want to bring, uh, bring Alex in uh, in just one second. Yeah, I'll, I'll be brief, and I just want to challenge the last point more than anything. Um, the, the irony, of course, is that all investing in in this space is also the better solution to the problems that keep happening. So I'll give you a couple examples, right? I mean, every institutional investor that does any due diligence on a fund in the space, they are forcing you through their DDQs and, and all the other questions to make you use a third party custodian and make you spread your assets out on different exchanges and pseudo prime brokers. Um, they are 100% against self-custody. They're 100% against using decentralized wallets and decentralized exchanges. The regulators, same thing, right? And why? It's not because they're fundamentally against these technologies. It's because it doesn't fit into their existing workflows that they've created. So we are learning over and over again that yeah. the safest and best way to custody your assets is to use self-custody. And it is best to you know, have a non-custodial wallet and to trade on DEXs and not leave your assets there. But we are being forced to yeah. do other things because of these checkboxes and these um, uh, uh, workflows that people are used to that just doesn't really work with this industry. And I, I remember four years ago, I think I gave a speech at NYU and they're you know talking about decentralized exchanges are, are the future and i was like yeah that's true except most people don't care right most people care about convenience more than they care about some ideological principle between decentralized versus centralized now the reality is that's starting to shift the other way right it's not just an ideology it's now more safe right it is more safe to use your own self-custody in these non-custodial wallets than it is to use these third parties but also you know as you mentioned the workflow, the reason people gravitated to an FTX or a Binance is just because it was easier, right? It was a one-stop shop. It was easier to do everything. It was easier to leave your assets there and trade it. Yeah. It was to go through these a couple extra steps. So that's always going to be an issue of this UI and UX and workflow relative to what actually is best practices. But Jeff, you know, maybe I'm an optimist. I'm hoping that if when we're having this conversation uh, in uh, 2027, uh, that the workflow is going to be improved because the tools are going to build up uh, in a way that's going to make doing the right thing uh, much easier. But I also want to bring in Alex. Uh, Alex Kruger, uh, obviously we've uh, been chatting here a little bit about where we are in this space. Uh, a lot going on. You've been very active on Twitter. Uh, you have the floor. Uh, give us your take. What's happening here? 
Well, I, I have to say I largely agree with uh, what, what uh, Jeff said about the market in general. And on, on your point, Sash, I think they're really good points. Uh, all of them very valid. The, the thing is that, that that represents opportunity. Yes. That, that's a thing. That's the way I see it. And so by the way, by the time every one of your points, the points you raise about what's missing in the industry, they're tackled, we are back to 50,000. So it, it's, this is opportunity. And, and generally, the way I see it is markets tend to bottom when things break. So, for example, equities and traditional finance, they bottomed when the UK broke. The UK absolutely broke. Lifers literally had to get a rescue package in a way to, from the BOE. Uh, this is the market breaking. The market broke uh, back in June. That was uh, 3AC after Luna. This hopefully would have happened right then. It didn't. We had it now. But the market just broke. So what we have now is gonna we're going to have a lot of uh, outflows, I think. Uh, from, uh, I, I would presume there's going to be a lot of redemptions. There's going to be a lot of price pressure, but there's, this is the asset class right now is very cheap. The macro turned. And, uh, one thing is, uh, right now, something that is happening that I'm absolutely certain is happening is that, uh, traders are trying to minimize their credit risk exposure to exchanges. So right now there's very few people out there are a, a much diminished number of people taking risk. That's going to turn like as soon as we know that OKX is okay, we feel comfortable, comfortable with Bybit, OKX, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We going to lever up again. So if the macro is doing fine, which I think is highly likely that, uh, uh, it will, uh, on, on, on the market side, uh, not on the economic side. Um, I think it's a good odds that we are fine. This, this is not the time to panic. It's the time to think how to reassess and, and, and try to think what's going to outperform, like, for example, assets like our weed related to, uh, uh, um, meta, uh, Instagram or assets related to, yeah. uh, like we have the world cup coming right now with this, there's a few things happening, anything that is DeFi that are useful tools that help people take risk, uh, on DeFi, like GMX, they're doing quite fine. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not pessimistic. The time to be pessimistic was a week ago. And, and with this, I, I live it. Uh, markets in general, and particularly crypto, they tend to move down really fast. Risk happens fast and in a week is done. That's how crypto works in a week, two weeks, and it's done. And then it's the panic, the people that comes after and talks and talks and, and, uh, the people buys and they panic and they sell, but this is the time to not panic. I mean, that, that time is over. Of course, I'd like to know if, if a few big players are fine, but I'm not going right. to say the names right now, but maybe if you want to, but. Um, yeah, that's about it. Well, well, you know, let me follow up on that because I think you make some really important points there. Apologies. we got some ambulances coming by outside in front of my apartment right now. Uh, but let me ask you this, you know, you, you mentioned the, uh, the kind of the, 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 the sequencing, the timing, the cadence, uh, of when we had Terra followed by three arrows in very rapid succession. Uh, it, it's unclear yet to what extent a direct line can be drawn between that and the FTX implosion and bankruptcy. Uh, but I guess the question is, uh, if we saw a significant lag there in terms of an initial component of risk coming on the table, followed by, uh, this impact, uh, several, many weeks later, uh, is it possible? And I, and to a certain extent, I'm playing the designated pessimist here, uh, because you guys are, op uh, are, are more, uh, optimistic and, and clearly I think there's a huge amount of this space to be optimistic about, particularly in the longer term. But the question, Alex, is how do we know that there isn't another shoot of drop precisely as you point out, uh, with 
the idea that there could be some other big players in the space that are experiencing problems. Uh, how do we know that there isn't another shoe to drop here that could cause downward pressure in the we short don't. term? That's why we gave it two weeks, two weeks, you know, three weeks. Uh, we just give it a little bit of time. We don't know right now. Uh, things going to surface pretty soon, I think. It's uh, my, my, like, I think it's, it's quite likely that what we see is a replay of, uh, of June, basically. It's just like for a few weeks, we are in this state of uncertainty and, and fear that something else may be out there. In fact, I do remember very well a few, very few people are there that they mentioned Alameda back, back in June. And the reaction of most of the market, myself sadly included, was no way. Uh, so there may be somebody else out there. So need to give it a little bit of time and, and, and then relever. Jeff, I think you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to say almost the same thing, which is that markets hate uncertainty much more than they hate bad outcomes. I mean, you can go back to presidential elections. I mean, look at back at, uh, you know, the, the market in October 2020 versus November 2020. I think mean, the equity market was up like 10% in November of 2020 just because we had an outcome that, it was, you know, that there was fears that, you know, if Trump lost, there was going to be all this, uh, uh, you know, refusal to leave and all that. But once there was clarity, the markets you know, rallied. It was independent of whether or not Biden or Trump won. It was just making sure that there was, in fact, a winner. Um, right. The same thing is true almost any time you have uncertainty is that we can handle bad outcomes. We don't, we can't handle not knowing the outcome, right? So if you look back to May and June, as Alex mentioned, it was mid-May when you had Terra Luna and UST implode. Then you had three to four weeks of uncertainty and the markets bottomed right when you had the closure of Voyager filing for bankruptcy and uh, Celsius filing for bankruptcy and Three Arrows filing for bankruptcy. Um, as well as obviously there are some positive narratives like the Ethereum merge date uh, was released as well as, uh, you know, the 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 the, the, ma the macro picture is expecting a Fed pivot. But really it was the clarity, right? We realized, okay, you know, these are the players that are going under and these are the ones who aren't. Um, and I think the same thing is true now. And, and you know, in traditional finance and, and also a digital asset, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. You, you get about a couple of weeks to figure out where the bodies are buried and, and by then you get some clarity. And once we have that, right, once we figure out who actually is going to file and who isn't and who is still uh, healthy and who isn't, you'll start to be more objective and think more clearly about, you know, upcoming catalysts like the World Cup or partnerships that Polygon and uh, uh, and Arweave are signing and things like that. You'll start to be more objective with your analysis. And and the the the, the truth is. The digital asset market has decoupled from macro five months ago, uh, not fully, right? Macro is always a part of the story, but it wasn't, you know, the first six months of this year, it was the only story, right? It was the dollar up and everything else down, bonds down, equities down, commodities up, crypto down. But since May, we've decoupled, right? May and June was, you know, the rest of the market, the rest of the world was fine yeah. while the crypto market imploded because of Terra Luna yeah. and the subsequent effects of Three Arrows and Celsius and Voyager and everything else. And in the third quarter, you know, the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index was up 15% in the third quarter. Meanwhile, bonds were down almost 10%, equities were down almost 10%, commodities were down 20%, the dollar was up 7%. I mean, there was a massive outperformance in the third quarter. And then even, you know, over the last two weeks, you know, two weeks ago, post the FOMC, uh, equities got crushed because of how hawkish Powell was. Um, and rates went flying. Meanwhile, digital assets were higher. And then, of course, last week was the exact opposite, right? The CPI came out uh, lower than expected. Equities rallied, rates rallied, uh, but crypto got caught up in this, you know, FTX news. So longer term, that's a healthy uh, uh, part of the picture is that we are decoupling from macro. These are idiosyncratic events. They're just negative idiosyncratic events right now, which is not what people wanted, right? People, when they said we want crypto to decouple, they wanted it to go higher, not lower. But the reality right. is it's decoupling, right? We are in our own world. 
Um, there's going to be winners and losers. Uh, and, you know, as Alex said, give it a couple of weeks to figure out where the bodies are buried and you're probably, you know, right back to a healthy trading environment. Well, I think everybody on this call is very optimistic about the longer term of the space. I'm curious uh, if you guys have a sense of how long it takes for some of these technologies that I just mentioned, for example, some improvements to UI, UX to make the space simpler uh, and more transparent, uh, how long it takes to get that online and also uh, cryptographically validated proof of reserves, obviously something that's been talked about a great deal in the wake of this as we transition to a more decentralized world. Uh, how long do you think it takes uh, the development of that to begin to ramp up, particularly in light of this recent crisis? I don't have a strong view there. I mean, it would be guesstimating. So um, yeah. a year, I mean, if we look at DeFi, DeFi, DeFi went really fast between uh, uh, May 2020 to to sometime 2021. So maybe a yep. year. I don't know. I think there's something happening that I have not a good grasp on at the moment, which is basically one of the things that's going to drive a lot of flows, I believe, which is uh, the uh, social media apps uh, getting into uh, crypto. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be huge. I don't know exactly how it's going to change it, but there's this. We've mentioned Arweave a couple. There. Yeah, we've a couple mentioned Arweave a, a couple that's, of times. That's the, easy, the, the easier way to express a. Uh, a view on that for for those who are not deep into this into into basically what Instagram is doing. Uh, same applies, I think, uh, with uh, Twitter. I think uh, it's it's highly likely that uh, Musk is gonna uh, pass through major changes and, and turn it. I mean, his view of uh, crypto of Twitter as a as a WeChat app that does everything and includes crypto. It's it's something he's been saying. Uh, many times, but but back to your question. Unfortunately, I don't have the answer. I mean, yeah. I want. I would love to have the answer. I wanted to pull in Paul because I know he's uh, looking at some of our viewer questions. Jump in, Paul. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you guys. Um, how do you think we're going? Sorry, my dog is going crazy here today. Apologies for that. Um, no, Chewy, stop. Sorry, guys. My question is: uh, What kind of dog? Paul? A conversation. Because the dog's not on camera. What kind of dog? He's a Chihuahua pincher, so he's five months old, and that's that's a problem here in the small apartment. My question is for you: We're seeing we need some clarity and wait until we find the bodies buried in like, like let's say two weeks. How are we? Sorry, but Chewy, come pick him up, pull him on camera. I I can't. He's going to the door. I have a, a little neighbor that's like not very friendly with him. <laughs> My question is, how are we going to, 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 to re recover from this, meaning in the terms of uh, people being afraid of crypto nowadays? People, as you said, Ash, before, people are a little skittish and might have some sort of PTSD from everything that has happened this year. How are we going to give people that certainty and clarity that this events, or as you said, Ash, the next shoe is about to drop or we don't know yet, how we can we recover from this? Yesterday we were talking on the show about CC's recovery fund. That might be a solution, but what else can we do? Well, I mean, to start with, you have to understand that there's way more people who are not invested and involved at all in digital assets than there are people who are and have been affected by this. And if you think about where the growth is going to come from, it's, it's you know, I'll give you an analogy, right? If you go back to the early 2000s, we were in the dot-com era, right? Every business that was using the internet was a business that started specifically because of the internet, right? It was Priceline.com, eBay.com, Amazon.com, right? These were businesses that did not exist prior to the internet and only existed because the internet enabled these businesses. 
But what happened 10 years later, well, everybody became a dot-com, right? Businesses that had been around for 100 years all of a sudden were using the internet and became a dot-com, right? Domino's Pizza became a dot-com. JP Morgan became a dot-com. Disney became a dot-com. And slowly you drop the dot-com name and it's just assumed that everybody's using the internet. And the adoption of the internet came from these on-ramps from bigger existing companies, not from the organic native internet companies. Well, the, you could basically say the same thing about where we are in blockchain, right? The first companies and projects in this space were effectively dot cryptos, right? These are businesses that only exist because of blockchain and would not have existed otherwise. But you're just now starting to see existing companies that have been around for 100 years starting to use blockchain, right? Nike using NFTs, Starbucks using NFTs, uh, uh, Meta and Facebook, um, you know, uh, uh, Disney coming along, et cetera. Uh, JP Morgan using DeFi, KKR tokenizing a fund. Um, what you'll see is that the ability for these existing companies that already have hundreds of millions of customers and users being onboarded and ported into blockchain is going to far surpass any of these organic native projects that have you know a couple thousand or tens or hundreds of thousands of users i mean there was a company called sweat that recently brought over 100 million users from an existing web 2 app over to the to the near blockchain and i think 12 million of those 100 million created a wallet and that was like 100x the amount of wallets that Near had prior to that one app porting over. Um, you know, you look at what Reddit is doing right now, right? Reddit's the users dwarf anything that is currently in blockchain. So the next growth phase is likely to come from users who have no crypto or blockchain experience and probably won't even realize, really recognize that they're even using blockchain and will just sort of start coming over and being the growth engines of the future. So. I think that's a really important shift right now, right? While, while inside the blockchain community and the digital asset community, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of fear. You know, you're seeing people who were diehards for the last five years now jumping on Twitter saying, I give up, I hate this space, I'm leaving. Meanwhile, you've got the outside world coming faster than ever um, with Starbucks and Nike and JP Morgan and all these other areas. So I think you don't necessarily have to um, solve this competence issue per se. Um, you just have to bring more people in uh, uh, to some of the existing projects and, 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 and technologies that will you know, come out of this unscathed. I mean, I think the brand of SBF certainly resonated beyond crypto, and I think that's a tarnished legacy for obviously him and anyone associated with him. Um, but I'm not sure it really affected that many people outside of the you know, existing crypto world. Yeah, I'd like to get Alan actually there. to pick up on that. I'm curious. Uh, Jeff mentioned this notion uh, of non-native crypto firms jumping in uh, to the crypto space and beginning to use some of the infrastructure that's been built here. Do you have any thoughts about what that might look like in terms of how new entrants into the space, maybe existing companies, uh, Jeff mentioned uh, Starbucks, for example, uh, and you were talking a little bit about Instagram, how that might look and what the promise and potential there might be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go ahead, Alan. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, that's, um, I fully agree. It's, but I, I wanted to say something else before. Is, is that the thing is that people affected at FTX are a minority. Not only are they a minority, it's a very special crowd. It's uh, a minority of traders. 
So say uh, of the, those millions, say 300,000 leave the space. It's nothing, everybody else is gonna forget. Uh, the, the main issue I think is, is uh, that it's gonna cause, it's not on the retail side, I think retail is gonna forget very quickly about this. And uh, the, the main issue is basically about firms, institutions, that uh, it's how they take risk and how they manage their, their assets and their custody that is going to be a little bit more difficult now because they're going to have different kind of, uh, call it pressure or call it, uh, I don't know, call it whatever, whatever you want, but it's a matter of, it's going to be difficult for them to take risk. And uh, that's the main issue rather than, than retail. Jeff, any thoughts about institutional adoption that Alan uh, pointed to? And I actually, of course, have pointed out in the earlier in my initial remarks. Any thoughts now about what this does to institutional adoption in the short term, intermediate term, and longer term? Yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of things, right? I mean, you know, a lot of institutional investors are not actually investing in tokens or digital assets yet, right? They've been using backdoors, but, you know, things like, oh, I have exposure because I'm invested in FTX equity, right? They've been, you know, look at the, the uh, unfortunately, the Ontario, you know, teacher's pension plan who are not allowed to invest in tokens, so they get the next best thing, which was FTX equity. Um, there's also tons of money pouring into venture because venture already fits a box for them, right? They already have a, a sleeve of their investments dedicated to alternatives, which includes venture, and that's an easy thing to do to get exposure uh, relative to maybe investing in Ethereum or Bitcoin itself or investing in, you know, a, a, a liquid hedge fund or investing in, you know, an index product. So um, to start with, I think a lot of these back doors may start getting questioned more because there's certainly a lot coming out now that suggests that maybe the due diligence on that side hasn't been uh, all that sound. So it might actually drive more investments directly into the tokens themselves uh, instead of these, you know, uh, uh, you know quasi safer ways to get exposure to the space. But there's no doubt that um, this one hurts largely because like I, I had a reporter ask me the other day, like, does this hurt more because Sam Bankman-Fried was the face of crypto? And I was like, we didn't make him the face. You guys, did. it was the media that made him the face of crypto. Nobody inside the industry really felt that way. Um, yeah media turned him into what he was and, and, and like most of us rooted him on we didn't want to see him fail right it was you know good for the space that he was penetrating washington and he was penetrating you know institutional investors and corporate america and things like that but but you know certainly his reputation inside the, the space was not necessarily as pristine as it was outside um you know not for nothing he, you know he was uh, uh you know a quant jock at jane street for a couple of years and all of a sudden became king of the world so you know th that there wasn't a lot of experience there um so I think that hurts because the casual investor who maybe wasn't already in this space had at least heard of Sam Bankman-Fried and had, um, you know, at some point probably thought that that was representative of what this industry was. So I think there's a setback there. Um, but don't forget also, the rest of the world's not doing that great either, right? Equities are down 20 to 30%. Bonds are down 15%. Um, commodities yeah. have been all over the place. Currencies, unless you are, you know, US dollar-based have been getting crushed. Uh, right. It hasn't been a great year, and most in institutional investors are not necessarily pushing back their digital asset investments just because they're afraid of digital assets. They're pushing them back because they got other, you know, problems. Ninety-eight so percent of their portfolio is nothing to do with Bitcoin or Ethereum or Sam yeah. Bankman-Fried, and they're getting hit from all angles right now. And, and generally, you try to put out the fires that are in your portfolio before you start making investments outside of it. Absolutely, absolutely true. I, I want to pull in uh, Paul. Uh, so some questions for Alex uh, and Jeff from viewers as well. And I see the yeah. dog is now in the picture. 
It is in the picture. Okay, so actually, guys, very interesting conversation. We talked about everything around FTX, about what's going on. And I have a couple of takeaways. First, as, as uh, Jeff pointed, I uh, macro was decoupled from crypto about six months ago. The second takeaway here is that um, this is not uh, an architecture failure like in the case of Terra Luna. This is mostly a bad player or, or some bad players into the space doing some stuff that is not the best. But I would like actually to ask you guys anything to add, Jeff, Alex, what are your key takeaways to leave our viewers with? Don't panic. Don't leave right now. This is not the time to leave unless you got hurt really badly, which is unfortunate and some people did. Uh, but it, unless you have to, this is not the time to leave the space. That's that's that would be my key message. Yeah, mine would be uh, uh, similar, which is, uh, you know, we, we, we really do need to separate the companies and people who are taking advantage of a loosely regulated space with the space itself and the technology that is being built and how it's being used. Um, there's, you know, an old saying, like, never let a good crisis go to waste. I mean, that's that's kind of what you have to do as an investor when you're facing this, is there is going to be companies and projects and people uh, who go down very hard with the ship because of events this year. And there's gonna be people and projects and firms that do really well. Um, you know, there, there's always an investable universe of, of winners losers and once we're able to clear out some of the um, noise and focus on the individual assets there's going to be opportunities uh, both to make money but also in terms of things that actually affect your everyday uh, uh, life um, so uh, you know I think it's it's going to be harder um, you know easy money of 2021 and 2020 obviously isn't there right now, right? Just just loosely investing in anything and chasing any headline is not going to be the way to, to make money right now. Uh, but there's no doubt there are going to be winners here and there's going to be opportunities. And, and to, to leave the space or to blame the space for the actions of a small few um, would be foolish in my opinion. Yeah. Thank you so I much. I, I don't have much oh. to add to that, uh, except it's it's been great to hear, have you here, Alex. Jeff, uh, going through these. Obviously, this is a painful and difficult time, and I think we're all quite uh, optimistic about the future and uh, and a bit, I think, skeptical about what's going to happen in the next week or two, uh, the next month or two. Obviously, very much difficult to predict with all the volatility that we see happening in the space. Uh, over to you, Paul. All right. Thank you so much, guys, for your key takeaways. And let's do some viewer questions. We have one here from Ralph E. on the Real Vision website. The question is, the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan Board said it had roughly $95 million tied up in FTX per financial post. And in August, Canada's second largest pension fund, CDPQ, wrote off its $150 million investment in Celsius. Because of these and possibly other pension fund losses, do you see any additional regulation coming for pension fund investments in crypto markets? Well, well again, I mean, that was a choice to invest in the equity of these businesses rather than in the assets themselves. I, I think that choice may start to be questioned of why it was just deemed that the equity of any entity was safer than the individual assets themselves. So I think there might be some soul searching from regulators and governments and rule makers with regard to what is safe and what isn't. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there, look, there's definitely going to be regulatory changes. Um, some of it will be rushed and probably short-sighted. Some of it will be very well thought out. I mean, even here in the U.S., um, you know, for every soundbite that Gary Gensler likes to make, uh, uh, you know, on, in, a, in a media appearance, there's hundreds of people who actually work under him at the SEC who are taking the time to really learn and to do things the right way and to question and to um, uh, think critically. So, uh, I, you know, I don't think all hope is lost. I think if, if anything, if you do fast track some of the logical regulatory changes, things like, you know, stable coins, that's low hanging fruit, right? A stable coin is just a money market. It's very easy to regulate a stable coin like a money market. Um, exchanges, right? I mean, I, I wrote a blog post two years ago calling out all the exchanges for the fact that they, you know, listed uh, uh, ICP, uh, which went down immediately, like 95%, without disclosing uh, all of the tokenomics and supply issues with that. I mean, you know, there's certainly easy things that can be forced upon the the exchanges in terms of disclosures uh, around some of the assets they're listing, right? Some of that might just be voluntary transparency in the wake of this. Some of that might be forced upon them by regulators. But there, there are some easy fixes that we can do first before we even get into some of the deeper, more challenging um, um, issues with regard to how this new technology plays out. So, you know, I'm in the camp that any regulation is good because it does give people a sense of of, of comfort and relief um, and, and ultimately drives more investment dollars and more interest in the space. Thank you so much, Jeff. Alex, we have a question for you coming from twinsend.eth on YouTube. Do you see centralized exchanges as something to be used or avoided? Why? And do you think regulation should be done by code or a third party? Well, a couple of things there. The first one is not everyone is uh, suited for self-custody. Self-custody is complicated. It's difficult, takes time, and uh, it's prone to mistakes that can be very costly. So definitely uh, centralized exchanges, uh, they definitely have a place. They're not going to go away. They shouldn't go away. What should happen there, and this is very important, is custody. And uh, the uh, what the exchange actually does, what exchanges do is they have a, a match, matching engine. So their, their business should be matching buyers and, buyers and sellers and custody should be set aside. So that I think is one of the things that is, ha is gonna be uh, happening and uh, hopefully f fast. Uh, once that is in place, there is a very little uh, reason to be, uh, to be afraid, to put it in a way of, uh, of uh, centralized exchanges. Uh, that being said, uh, it's, uh, it's self-custody makes a lot of sense, uh, especially for those who are not trading, who are not managing risk, uh, if you don't have too much exposure in the asset class, you don't have to be hedging all the time. Even, but even if you're not a trader and your exposure to the asset class is very significant, given how volatile it is, you're forced to hedge. And for that, generally, you need to go to a centralized exchange. Not always. There are exceptions. Thank you so much. Thank you to all of you, Ash, Alex, and Jeff. Thank you for joining us today and pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, guys.
that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, you know, smash everything, like button, bell, and subscribe. And don't forget, today we have actually an AMA Ask Me Everything live with our co-founder, Raul Pal at 5 p.m. Eastern time today. Make sure to join in here on YouTube on the Real Vision Crypto channel, not the macro finance channel, Real Vision Crypto. And tomorrow here on the show, we'll have Laura Shin from the OnChain podcast and Chris Sullivan on the show. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be great. And see you at noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. London time here on the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.